right. Good morning, Reach Church. And Merry Christmas. Oh, that was lame. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, there we go. All right. Uh, so if kids want to head out to Reach Kids, they can do that. They can head out right now. Um, and as part of Christmas, uh, parents, there's actually, uh, your kids will be taken home like an Advent read-along kind of thing. So if you've kind of want to build in anticipation for Jesus' coming, uh, this is a great way to do it, just to, to read scriptures that are pointing forward to Jesus with your kids. And um, if you want to do it and you don't have kids, you're welcome to take one of these too. So not non exclusive uh, party here. Uh, you can all get in on that. So, uh, so we've reached the Christmas, Christmas season. Christmas, Christmas season. Uh, so today we are talking about, um, because of that, we're talking about giving. We're talking about giving. So this Christmas season, uh, last week Dan talked about contentment in Christ and, and holding our possessions loosely. Today we're talking about giving um, along the same lines that we're entering in a season of, of giving where we give gifts to one another, where there's, there's, there's certain expectation that we give to the poor, that we give to the needy, that we do mercy ministry, that we give uh, over and above what we normally do. There's also the sense that, as we talked about the mission, we cannot do the mission without giving ourselves and kind of giving gifts to the people we're ministering to. Uh, if it's just our hospitality, if it's our friendship, if it's our time, we're giving things to people in the name of Jesus. That's like one of the traits of this season because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to, to give the gift of himself to us. But if we're going to do that, we want to do it well. I'm going to do it according to how, how Jesus talks about it and according to his word. And uh, in thinking along the lines of nothing but Jesus. How do we become nothing but Jesus givers? Givers that are uh, motivated solely by the gospel. Now this is going to be a challenge for us because uh, the people who are most challenged to give are the wealthy, are the rich. And as much as we might not realize it, that's, that's us in this room. All right, not some of you in this room. This is all of you in this room. That we are the rich. We are the people who, who have a lot. And Jesus says it's, it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom because of all of these obstacles, because our hearts are divided. And we struggle to keep these commandments. And so today we're going to be looking at, uh, at Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Um, as you walk through this, we're going to talk about uh, the commandment of Jesus to give. The commandment to give. You're going to talk about the power to give. And we're talk about the, the response, the result, the reaction that we should have once we've actually received that power. So, command, power, response, CPR. CPR, if you want to remember it that way. Uh, we need spiritual CPR because our giving is terrible and we're dying. So, uh, not really actually. We're... We're overall generous, but we want to, when we look at, at the standard of Jesus, um, we need so much more. We always need so much more of Jesus. And so uh, let's look at him today. Uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Read with me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, as we learn what it means to, to truly be givers that are motivated by Jesus, I ask that you would give us grace and you would give us mercy and you give us eyes to see Jesus. Would you fill us with the, the light of your, your gospel, the light of Jesus, the light of what he's done, that we may be changed inward out and that we may be a, a generous people. Amazingly so. For the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so. We want to be, we want to be generous givers. We want to be generous givers. And I think out... Even out, even out there, the world holistically wants to be generous. They want to be thought of as generous. They want to be thought of as, as humanitarians. We all kind of want that label. We want to be people who are not stingy Scrooge types, but are people at the end of the movie who like are throwing out coins and purchasing Christmas gooses. Like we want to be those kind of people. That's the ideal, especially around Christmas. Like we want to be these generous people who it's better to give than to receive until we actually have to do it. All right, I think we're all kind of on board that this is, this is what we want to be, this is who we want to be. And Jesus actually takes it further than we'd probably expect him to. He, he wants us to be this way too. He commands us to, to give. He commands us to give. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. So this is, this is, this is a commandment. Now it has, has wisdom that underlies it and that supports it, but it is first and foremost a commandment. Do not lay up treasures on earth, lay them up in heaven. Now, he adds some wisdom to that, so let's, let's talk about the wisdom here. Uh, let me just remind you that we live in a world that is futile, where things pass away, where things don't last. All right, second law of thermodynamics kind of stuff. All right, uh, no one makes it past it. So he gives some examples. Okay, moths, moths. Moths come in and they eat your stuff. All right, you have your favorite sweater, they eat your sweater. All right. The gluten-free flour in our pantry, for some reason, moths are gluten-free. That's, that's just their MO. Watch out if you're gluten-free. You, you put it in a bag, then put it in another bag, then put it in a box. All right, that's the trick. And then never use it again because it's gluten-free flour and it's gross. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Like, I don't, know, I don't know why Jesus chose moths. He could have chosen anything. But... Uh, Maybe because things were mostly wool back then. Um, he was a shepherd. I don't know. Uh, sort of the good shepherd. All right. Uh, things decay. Things, things rot. All right. The rust. 
the rust is out there and it is ruining all your stuff. All right, the, namely the men who have to take care of the exterior of the house. You know this, that if you don't do, if you don't do the work out there, the whole thing is just going to collapse in on itself and the rust will not stop. All right, you can maintain the rust, you can't get rid of it. It's just, that's just the, the reality of living in this earth. All right, and last one, uh, thieves come and steal your stuff. All right, for most of you, that means foxes stealing chickens, I realize. I, I, I hear those stories like once a week, like our favorite chicken died. Like, I don't know how you have a favorite chicken, but it, gets, it dies and it gets stolen. Um, and when the thieves steal, like, you don't get it back. If, if, if you call the cops, you still don't get it back. I always had this weird notion that like, oh, they, they're here to like find my stuff. Like, no, they're not. Like, they're here to catch the criminals and like, they don't care about your stuff. It's gone forever. All right, uh, you, you all know this. You all know this about your possessions and I don't have to tell you this. Like, but this is Jesus' reminder that all the stuff you have, all the stuff you've accumulated, like, it's not going to last. And eventually, it's all going to waste away. Now, Jesus didn't go here, but I'm going to go here. Like, in the very end, there's one final thief. Death is going to steal everything you ever owned. Death is going to steal it, and you're not going to get it back. All right, at best, at best, some of your stuff will go to your kids. The stuff that they actually like, that they can stand. There's also stuff in, their, in your house that they've always made fun of. I know that's true of our house. Whenever we go home, we're like, they try to give us stuff, and we're like, we don't want, we want that. We want this. We don't want that. Um, eventually, all your stuff is going to end up at an estate sale, and a bunch of strangers are going to rifle through it, find the good stuff, and maybe the best stuff will end up at those people's estate sale. And after estate sale and estate sale, as it, we, as it kind of grinds down by the rust and the moss and the destruction, there's not going to be anything left. All this stuff that we're so attached to that we think is, is part of our identity, that we, we love this stuff, like, all right, it's going away. That's just wisdom. And Jesus says there, there is a place. There is a place where things do not go away, where things are eternal, where things last, where if you invest them up there, they will not be lost. All right. Oftentimes, then, then we take to the conclusion that, like, well, Jesus is just a great insurance agent. He's just sort of like a, a financial advisor. He's trying to help us, like, make sure we're maximizing our, our efficiency in gathering all of our stuff. All right. It's larger than that. This is not just wisdom of, like, don't waste your time. I'm, I'm trying to help you. No, this is a commandment. This is a commandment. Do not... Do not lay up for yourself treasure here. Instead, lay it, lay it up in heaven. Now we wonder, okay, why does Jesus care? Why does Jesus care? And it's not because he, he thinks, it's not because he loves our stuff. Why does he care? He tells us in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is always after our hearts. He's after our love. He's after our devotion. And what he's saying is that if you invest here, your heart will be here. And Jesus up there is not going to have your heart. 
And he's saying, put your stuff there, be invested there, be committed there, so that your heart is with me. So your heart is with Jesus. That's what he cares about. And that's what we're ultimately dealing with today. We're dealing with the heart. We can talk about the, the commandments, but we're dealing with the heart. But I want to make sure we're all, we're all understanding this. Okay, what does it mean to, to not lay up your treasures here on earth, but to lay them up in heaven? What does that commandment really entail? Alright, so... Thankfully, we have, we have a really helpful example of one person who kind of encountered this law and was expected to fulfill it. Right. He was the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. And so this rich young ruler, this rich young guy, he comes and he asks Jesus, he says, you know, like, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Like, how do, how do, I, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to this, this place that, that I, I need to get to? What do I do? And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, well, if, if you're going to do it, like, just keep the commandments. Keep them all. And he lists off some of them, like, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, love others as yourself. Just whenever, whenever you're called to love, always, always love them as you always love yourself. All right, and this presumptuous guy... He says, well, you know, I, I've already kept all those, Jesus. Now, he's in for it at that point. And so Jesus like, okay, you did all, you did all the Ten Commandments. Great. And so, so he pulls from his back pocket this commandment. And he says, well, okay, fine. If you want to be perfect, in love he did this. It says in love. In love, he says, if you want to be perfect, here, do this one. And he says, Sell everything that you own. Give it all to the poor. And then you will be righteous. And then you will have treasures in heaven. And then you'll be ready to come follow me. Alright. Now what do we do with that? That is the commandment. That is this commandment right here. Alright. Jesus isn't saying, make sure you give your tithe. He isn't saying, make sure you, you give the leftovers to Jesus. Make sure that you have your Thanksgiving feast and like give a can of cream corn to your school or else you're, you're doing something wrong. All right, like go to Black Friday, but give on Giving Tuesday and you'll balance everything out. All right, that wasn't the law. What was the law? The law was everything. Give everything. That's, that's the only way to actually do it. And to fulfill the law perfectly. Now what does that mean for us? Alright, that means your 401k, your house, your car, your clothing, all your stuff, alright, everything. That's what this commandment actually says. That's what Jesus says it means. He says, only then will you be, will you be truly righteous according to this commandment. Only by that will you will have done it. You will have done enough. Alright. Now the logic of that makes sense. And if it was just up to our heads, we could say, oh, like that, that's really what we're supposed to do. Okay, Jesus. Like, sure. Sure, that probably is the best investment strategy for me in my life. And like I should probably go do that. But it's bigger than that. 
It's about our hearts. It's about the things that we love. It's about wanting to do that from our heart and from our soul to do it cheerfully. All right, and that's where, if we admit from our hearts, we cannot do this, we do not do this. All right, so some of us, so some of us feel guilty now. We feel guilty. Oh man, we're, we're bad Christians, we have more work to do. And so you're going to go home and, I don't know, find a, a third world child to support and maybe you'll feel a little better. All right, or, you, or you'll wait because guilt wears off and you'll just wait a little longer and you'll feel better. All right, some of us feel, feel ashamed by this. We feel super exposed, like, well, I, I have tons of stuff. Everyone sees my stuff. Like, we're, we're all doing a horrible job of this. All right, maybe some of us feel kind of betrayed that, like, how, how could Jesus say this? Like, I'm a, I'm a nice person who gives and who, like, is charitable. Like, how, why would he lay on me this, this guilt-trippy commandment that makes me feel bad? All right. Those are all reasonable responses if we're not seeing Jesus. If we're not seeing Jesus, those are the only responses, really. Those are honest responses. And that's where Jesus takes us next. He takes us to the heart. And he says, okay, he has a solution. And he says, okay, if, if you're struggling with this commandment, here's the power. Here's the power. And he gives this really weird analogy of the eye. So verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, the things that lights up the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. All right. Just some guidelines here. This has to do with money, since that's the context. So I'm sure we can interpret it a hundred different ways. We're going to interpret it in the text about, about money and about giving. All right, so what's the analogy here? All right, very simple physical analogy to start. All right, your eye is the lamp of the body. The eye lights up everything else. It doesn't just light up itself. It actually lights up everything so that you're able to do whatever you need to do. That's how sight works. All right. <laughs> Yay. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you're blind, your eye only sees darkness. And that makes everything else a lot harder. It brings darkness to everything else. That's how blindness works. All right. Good. All right. Uh, so so that, that's the analogy here. And now he's taking it into the spiritual realm of, in terms of giving. In terms of, of money and generosity. And he says that if spiritually... You have eyes to see the light, to see the truth, to see the world as it is, then you're just gonna like you're just gonna walk in that light and you're gonna have total freedom. And it's gonna be easy to walk in it. But if your eyes are corrupted, if they're damaged, if they're discontent, if they're selfish, if they're blind to Jesus, it's gonna it's gonna corrupt your whole life and you're gonna be walking in darkness. And no matter how you try to walk, you're just going to run into more things and hurt yourself and stumble over people and knock them out. That's just how it's going to work. All right. So what are, the, what are the, the healthy people seeing and the unhealthy people not seeing? Jesus. 
Jesus. That the people with, with corrupted eyes, they cannot see Jesus. All they see is the world around them. All they see is themselves. The eye that is healthy sees Jesus. All right, so what does it look like? What does it look like to have spiritual eyes that, that cannot see Jesus? That cannot see Jesus. Well, the first way is the kind of the more obvious one that we expect. The people who are spiritually blind, who don't want to see Jesus. They don't like Jesus. They don't believe in this whole eternity thing. They don't believe in eternal life. And so, they basically say, you know, like, it's all wash anyway. There is no Jesus. There is none of this stuff. They don't want him. And they just want to live their life right here and now. All right, why is that spiritually blind? I think we have some evidence that it's spiritually blind. First, because it, it, it cannot make you truly generous. If that's how you're trying to live your life, most of the world out there, most of the people who believe this way, they want to be generous people. They want to give. They want to help. They want to make an impact. But the fact is their, their thinking doesn't allow it. That their blindness doesn't allow it. Because when they're really going to help, there's part of them that's saying, in 30 years it's done. In 40 years it's done. In 20 years it's done. And then I have nothing left. And there's that constant looming of, of death and the moth and the rust that they can't overcome. And so there's kind of always a fighting. And always a, like, a grabbing after what is yours because there's nothing after that. evidence that it just doesn't work. And I think we have this longing for things to be impermanent, for things to, to remain, and you can see that that, that worldview just it falls apart at the seams. It's hopeless, if we admit it. All right, but you have this, this, other, this other way that people can be blind. And that's where you say, oh, well, like, the, the, those bad people... They just need to get religion. They need to be told and be told, like, you know what, you need to give no matter what because you're, otherwise you're being bad. All right, that is equal spiritual blindness. So these kind of spiritually blind people, just mostly us, uh, we're spiritually blind in the sense that oftentimes we think that, that we're earning righteousness by giving. They're kind of justifying ourselves before God or we're, we're becoming right with God. That somehow, by our giving, God is going to reward us. God is going to help us. That God's going to be on our team. Okay. Why is that spiritually blind? To think that, that by our giving, we're doing this kind of righteous thing. All right, we already talked about it. First of all, it's, it doesn't understand the real law going on here. The real law is everything. All right, and here I am feeling good about at Goodwill, on half off Goodwill day, I'm like willing to give the extra 37 cents to, to Goodwill. Like, do you want to round up to the nearest dollar? Like, sure. Like, I did my duty that day. Like, all right. The reality is like, that compared to everything literally is a drop in the bucket of righteousness. It's a, it's a it's a flash of, it's virtually worthless. And to compare those two things is just total spiritual blindness. 
And we can, we can amp it up and be like, okay, yeah, 50 cents is Peter is nothing, is nothing. But like, as much as we give, it's always going to be nothing. It's always going to be nothing compared to everything. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, okay, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, if I put in this pile all the things I buy for myself because I love myself, and if I put in this pile all the things I buy for other people and give to other people because I love them, we would see exactly how righteous we are. And all the things that, like, the, the standard is, do you love other people as you would love yourself? Do you give to other people as you would want given to you? That's true righteousness in this realm. And that's where you could say things like, oh, like, yeah, like, oh, we're, I'm going to get a new car, so I'll just, like, give my old car away instead of selling it. All right, that wouldn't be righteousness. You know what, what true righteousness would be? I keep the old car, and I give the other person the new car. Because that's what I would want, and that's what I'm going to earn for myself. All right, that's what obedience would like, and that's what we, that's where we just would never do that. It would seem insane to do that. But that is the standard. We're spiritually blind if we think we're saving ourselves or doing kind of God a favor or earning him anything before him. All right, but take it one step further. One step further. Let's say you went home and you did it. You went home and you sold everything. You sold everything and you stored up all that treasure in heaven and you gave it all to the poor. The problem is, it, it's not about the stuff. It's about our hearts. It's about loving Jesus. And so, we, most of us, would, I think, would do that and would end up loving Jesus less. That, okay, uh, yeah, I did it. I did it. I sold everything. But why did I do it? I did it so that I can earn more treasure in heaven. I was just greedy in another world. I just deferred all of my greed here and threw it up to heaven because it was a better investment for my greed. All right, there's nothing righteous in that. All right, or, 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 okay, you do it. You do it, and then you prance around like the most righteous person on the earth because you did it. I don't know how I could not do that. Like, oh, like, oh, you're driving your car? Like, yeah, I'll probably be walking to church two hours early because I gave away everything that I own. And I'll be living in that cardboard box. Like, I, you know, we'd be so self-righteous about it. We couldn't even stand, like, no one would stand us because we'd be, think we're so much better. All right, or, or we'd go and do it because for a second we felt guilty. And then when we, then we, we actually got to the, the root of it, we'd be sitting there with nothing and we'd be resentful and whiny and bitter at God. Essentially saying, like, God, why did, you, why did you trick me into ruining my life? The heart is that we would have this love for Jesus and we do it out of total joy and we feel like, oh, like, I'm, I'm getting to, to put my heart and my love into Jesus by doing this. That's what the real standard is. All right, we're blind. We're blind if we think. They were able to do this considering our hearts, considering our sin. We just aren't that good. And that's where, that's where we're taking to the, the real power. What does the real power 
We need to see with, with right eyes, with good eyes, with healthy eyes, and see Jesus. We need to see the light. All right. So how did Jesus fulfill this command for us? All right, what did Jesus have? Jesus, Jesus had life in heaven. Life in heaven. Now, what did his house look like in heaven? He was in mansions of glory. Maybe he hung out in the, in the, the temple. Remember with the seraphim hanging out, shouting his glory day after day. Like, he, he had a pretty good house. And where, where did he come? He came to be homeless on earth. He gave up everything. The foxes have dens, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He gave up everything. Alright, Jesus. Jesus had to give up his ride. Alright, what did Jesus drive in heaven? <laughs> Camels. <laughs> no, no. You had a hint, actually, in the last song. Um, he, rose, he rode on the, on the clouds. He rode on the storm clouds, like commanding the winds. That was his, that was his ride, all right? That's what he drove around in. All right, he comes down here. What did he drive around in? First, Mary's womb, all right, which is just not great on several levels uh, <laughs> for, for him. Uh, second, all right, he, he walked around on sandals. That was his, his ride. Uh, one time he rides a donkey which he had to borrow for his own kingly coronation. All right, he didn't have anything. All right, let's say, okay, uh, did he have any money? We have examples where Jesus needs to pay someone. And what does he go? He has to pay the temple tax. And he has to go ask a fish for it because he doesn't have it. All right, he just literally, has to, he like wants this sermon illustration and he holds up a coin and he's like, he was like, I need a coin so I can like show you the, the, what it looks like. And he doesn't have one, so he has to ask someone. Like, hey, do, do you have a coin? I can, I'll give it back. Like, that's the poverty of Jesus. He lost everything. All right, the one caveat might be, okay, he had clothing. He had the clothes on his back. All right. When he was nailed to the cross, he was nailed to the cross naked. And the robe that he had, the soldiers cast by lots. Who would get it? All right. Jesus alone fulfilled this commandment. And any other way that we kind of just do this commandment, it's just an insult to how much Jesus actually gave. He gave everything. Not only that, he took our shame, he took our guilt. He took all the disdain of all of our sin. He took all of that poverty for us. This is first century Israel poverty. This is not Elkton poverty. All right, this is as bad as it gets. All right, why did he do it? Why did he do it? He did it because he saw that we were poor that we were poor and we had nothing and he had everything so he gave it to us. We didn't have righteousness. We didn't have holiness. We didn't have hope. We didn't have peace. We didn't have joy. He had all of that and he gave all of it away to us. And the cost was totally free. 
that all we had to do was ask him for it. Receive him by faith. Believe that he wanted to give it to us and it was ours. And it's so ours that like, if you give more, if you go out there and give, give more, you don't get anything more because Jesus has earned it all. And if you go out there and give less, you don't get less because like, Jesus has, has earned it. It's Jesus' righteousness. It's Jesus' inheritance. It's Jesus' treasure that he's given us. Now, there's some nuances to that, but I'm not going to get into it. All right. Uh, that is the reality. That you have before you, like, eternal salvation, eternal joy, eternal life in Jesus. Now, if you have this kind of miserly, stingy God that you have to, like, fight with him tooth or nail and, and divide up your life and and earn everything you've gotten, you are going to be a stingy, miserly person. And then when other people come and interact with you, they're going to interact with you as, as you've interacted with your God, and you're going to be like, well, I don't, I don't know if you've earned it. I don't know if you deserve it. <coughs> you're going to be beginning of Scrooge, not end of Scrooge. All right, but, but if, if the reality is that you have been given everything in Jesus and you didn't earn it. Jesus gave it to you. In fact, you negatively earned it. You, you worked your whole life to not earn it, and he still gives it to you. Then the next time you encounter someone who asks you for something, like, yeah, sure. I, th I think I have enough. I think from my eternal life, I can give you this time. I think from my eternal joy, I can, can help you. I think from my eternal peace, I can probably take a moment to, to enter into your anxiety. When your eyes see the light of Jesus, it really does flow into your whole life and change it from the inside out. That's the power to do this. That's the power. Then when you actually see reality is that you have been given such generosity then you're going to overflow with the same. All right. So what am I telling you then? What am I telling you? What's the response to all this? What's the reaction that we're supposed to have? All right. When you go home, don't try to like muster and work through the guilt and try to do something better. Like love Jesus. Love Jesus and be committed to Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Only when you're overflowing with the light inside of you will you be able to, to actually go give as you're supposed to with a right heart and a joyful heart. All right, but there's some, some kind of problem here. Uh, if what I'm saying is true, then all of us are probably going to go home and stay in our sin. And, pro and not, not give away everything. All right, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we don't want to and we're probably not going to? All right, first of all, uh, are we called to just sit around in our sin? In one sense, yes. In one sense, yes. That every single day, all of us are sitting around in our sin. Right, this is one commandment. 
This is one commandment that if we take it to this nth degree, we realize we are terrible at. There are other commandments too. <laughs> there are lots more commandments that we're equally terrible at. And the reality is, if we think that for two seconds, we're living this perfect life, like, no, you, you never were, you never will, you never have. You're not going to have a bad day one of these days and be like, oh, I just needed grace that day, but like yesterday, I think I was pretty good. Like, no, no. That's just blindness. Bless you. You are always, you are always totally sinful, totally in need of grace. You are, you are struggling. No, you're getting better, hopefully, but you're getting better from like 0% to like 1%. All right, you're not like, oh, I just, I'm almost there. Like, oh, I sinned today. Like, I must be at the 99. No. No, <laughs> no you were terrible. All right. Like, you were just like constantly doing a miserable job of this. But Jesus is doing a great job. And he gave you his righteousness. All right, that's the gospel. That's nothing but Jesus. That's the message. Bask in that. Live in that. That's where we all live. That's the only way you can live as a Christian. That's reality. But, but we can, we can grow in some things. So, this last verse, Jesus says, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is like kind of, Jesus' kind of helpful summary that if you've seen the light, you will love Jesus. And you will love Jesus and all of these other masters will fall away. We're told that when we, when we see the, the things of earth grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace, like if we truly see Jesus, then the other masters, other things that rule us are going to pass away. And we're going to start to see that, that money is not our ruler, that money is not a good master, that money is not a good lord. Money is not going to die on the cross for you. Money doesn't care about you. Money doesn't love you. And money is ultimately just trying to trick you into wasting your life. That if you make it your Lord, it's just going to rule over you and destroy you. All right, but if you've seen the light and you see Jesus as your master, Jesus is your Lord, then money changes altogether. Then money becomes a servant. Becomes a tool. It becomes one more way that Jesus has given you to love him and serve him. And that money is losing it and giving it to Jesus is the ultimate one thing that we'd want to do. That we love Jesus that much. That we have rejoice in being able to bless others in the name of Jesus. In giving people the gospel and giving people life and giving people mercy. And give people grace more than they deserve. The opposite of what they deserve. Because we're serving Jesus. So what are you supposed to do? Don't focus on the money. Focus on Jesus. Love him. Serve him. Want him as your master. And everything else will fall into place. And that's where... If you try to outpace your love for Jesus, you just become a Pharisee, you just become a hypocrite, you just become someone working for salvation. You become just as foolish and evil on the other side. 
So as we grow to love Jesus, we're going to start seeing that he starts teaching us how to use money as a tool. Our time as a tool. Our gifts as a tool to love him. And if that's what our motivation is, then we're to do amazing things joyfully and because we want to. That's the goal. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, um, we're once again humbled by your law that it asks so much of us. And Father, we confess that not only do we not up to it, we can't, we can't hold the candle to it, but we also dumb it down so we can try and 